fear is something that actually motivates us more than we think it is. It's often a deterrent in a way and stops people from progressing, but fear can be used interchangeably with growth because you can fear rejection, you can fear even death, like what pushes you? You can't just sit there and cower, you have to turn that fear into something that can motivate you forward. Hello and welcome to Pave Your Own Path, where I get a chance to speak with driven individuals from various industries to better understand the challenges they face to achieve success. This podcast is intended to inspire others to follow their own passions and to help understand the value that you already bring every day. So let's get started. Hello, beautiful people. Today we are bringing on another inspirational human to the show, none other than Colton Griffith. Colton grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and was interested in radio at an early age. He graduated from Middle Tennessee State University with a degree in multimedia journalism. Currently, he is working as a production assistant on The Voice. I know of Colton because he is a cousin of my girlfriend and probably the only individual in her family that I haven't met in person yet. So let's find out a little bit more about Colton together. Colton, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How are we doing today? Oh my gosh, I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Also, I cannot believe we have never met in person. This is my first time actually realizing that. I know. I got a chance to stay at, uh, I think Corbin and Christian were living together. And then I got a chance to eat uh, with Steve and Barbie at, I think it was like a an olive garden or something. So, Oh, that's wild. Uh, and also, <laughs> ew. I'm was, sorry. No it, was, no, it was a great time. It was lovely. Olive uh, Garden was a great time. <laughs> Oh, I don't believe it. <laughs> well, it was a great conversation and uh, pretty awesome bread and salad, so can't complain. Oh, yeah, it is endless, they say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, were you working earlier today? I was not working today. I actually had the day off. Oh, very nice. What were you up to? Um, Mainly, I've just been uh, hanging out, um, living that life. It's really hot, and I'm in the valley part of LA, so a little bit north of Los Angeles and Van Nuys. So it's really hot. So um, I went roller skating for a little bit because that's always super fun. And then I've just been hanging out trying to catch up on shows on Netflix and playing Pokemon because that's what I love to do. Very nice. Uh, we just got some rollerblades ourselves. Just a quick note for anybody, if you do decide to rollerblade and it might be one of your first times or you're new to this, those little rubber pieces in the road that are meant to fix cracks, your rollerblades will get stuck in those as the sun heats them up. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me multiple times in the past couple of weeks. So That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll get started with this. So I, uh, of course, I would love to talk about where you are now and understand how you got there is probably the most important part about this. So could you give us a little snapshot of your childhood? Yeah, so I grew up, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Growing up in South Nashville, uh, we call it Antioch. It's known as Antioch, I should say. Um, And we moved around a bit with my dad, though we kind of stayed in the South, like we moved to Kentucky. So I went to like elementary school. Eventually, when we moved back to Tennessee, I spent all of middle school through high school and then college in Tennessee. Uh, So it was super, super fun (laughs) to kind of grow up understanding myself in that type of environment, though it's more progressive than a lot of the other Southern cities. Uh, It was still a little bit of a challenge, but it was, it was 
I had great parent. I have great parents and family. So it was still great, like being with them and still just kind of navigating myself in that situation. Yeah. Um, now at the Olive Garden, I never got to learn this, but like, what are some of the main activities you guys used to do as a family? Oh gosh, my family is a goofy, weird kind of sports loving, family oriented, driven, energetic ball of mess, as <laughs> I want to describe it. They are very um, kind of just driven by whatever they go with the flow. That's the best I can describe them as. Uh, we grew up playing a lot of sports. Uh, believe it or not, I played sports. It's hilarious. We uh, played baseball growing up, and it was always a fun activity because all three of us, me and my brothers, would be on the same team. Um, but yeah, we would also go to like a lot of water parks, a lot of theme parks, just hang out. We were kind of like the the house in the neighborhood that all of our friends would come and hang out at, which, you know, I feel bad for our parents because they had to deal with the mess we would constantly make. Uh, but yeah, we had a, oh my gosh, we had a backyard trampoline that we um, pretended we were WWE superstars on. That was great, I guess. It was a hot mess, actually. I kicked my brother in the eye once. He needed stitches. He didn't get them. It's fine. We're living with that. Was that on the trampoline? That was on the trampoline. I was going for a super kick and I, you know, actually hit him in the face. We are not mm -hmm. trained professionals. I got a ball thrown at my face on a trampoline. Trampolines are dangerous. I got a ball thrown they at my face and lost a tooth. So to this day, Kelly Stiglitz, shout out to you. Uh, I have a fake tooth, but uh, yeah. When you think about trampolines, I'm like, they're death traps. Like it's literally just metal <laughs> springs holding up a tiny piece of fabric. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> Don't go um, near the edge. <laughs> I know your uh, family, when you talk about them being sports lovers, they're big Titans fans. Um, is mm. there is there one word you would use to describe your childhood? Ooh. Oh, one word to describe my childhood. I would say one word to describe my childhood would be like just confusing in a weird way. Um, it was great. I loved it. I loved growing up with my siblings. I love growing up with my family. But at the same time, it was just a weird mess of trying to self-identify and figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. Even as a kid, I just didn't really understand at the time what I was going through. Yeah. And you are also a twin, correct? I am a twin. <laughs> twins since day one um we look nothing alike nothing you guys don't you just don't have the long hair well he is very like very petite i was like growing up i was always the fat twin next to him <laughs> until i became like the gay twin which i'm sure people said behind my backs before like anyone actually knew that i was either out to them but people already knew anyways but i feel like i was either the fat twin or the gay twin or the non-sporty like still played sports, but was bad at them twin compared to Corbin. Yeah. And Christian's the strong, the strong sibling. As you know, I that's what he is now. Christian yeah. has really, he's had a glow up because he had this like transformation. I'm very proud of him and I'm very jealous because I want the same thing because, <laughs> ooh, girl, I am getting there in some weight. This quarantine is not helping. So I am trying to get where he is on that self journey with, 
going to the gym and like eating healthy. And I'm trying to regulate that kind of mentality. So I look up to him in that sense. Yeah. And not only the pressures of your school or maybe the pressures of your town, but did you feel like being a twin might have confused you even a little bit more? Or what was your mindset like there? Yeah, it was always something in the back of my mind. Um, Me and my twin brother, Corbin, we academically, we were in very different settings. Um, I always was in advanced classes. So I was never in the same classes as him after I think fourth grade was the last fourth grade. We actually third grade. Third grade was our last time having classes together in general. And then eventually I went to a whole separate high school from him because I got into an academic uh, magnet school. And it's just kind of like lived separate lives from that since we would see each other at home. But I was constantly busy and constantly worried about keeping my grades up and having like a perfect kind of record with grades, which is nonsense because I don't understand why I would need that because I knew that I didn't want to get into anything math and science related or anything driven in that kind of sense. At first, I wanted to be a lawyer. Huge mess. Didn't want to do that. I realized that that's not really fun <laughs> to what do. What drove you to wanting was, to be a lawyer? Well, yeah, it's just like everyone kind of says as a kid, like, oh, I want to be a lawyer or a doctor. And then I realized like it's a lot of work. And then sometimes the payoff is really draining as an individual, depending yeah. on what type of law you're focusing on. And I just couldn't, I don't think I could deal with that. I think it's too much negative energy in my life. Yeah. I'd be like, Ugh. And correct me if I was wrong in my intro, but I know when we last spoke, uh, you were driven by the radio at an early age as well, correct? Yeah. I um, on Every morning on my way to school, um, when we were in middle school, this was our, these motorcycles, I swear to God. So every morning on my way to school with my, you know, little, with my brothers, we would tune in with my dad to a radio station called 107.5 The River, uh, which is Nashville's top 40 pop radio station. And every morning they would play a game and they would do fun gags and stuff. And I just really got into it and decided at that time, that's what I kind of wanted to do. So after high school, or actually during high school, one of the radio hosts came to our school's library uh, just to talk about like what she does and what their industry is. And she actually graduated from our high school. So I, you know, got to talking to her after she came and she gave me a tour that following weekend of the radio station and I loved it. Um, so I kind of like shadowed them for a little bit and then was like, yep, I'm going to college for broadcast journalism with a focus in radio. Uh, and then like learning all the kind of technical stuff behind radio. And then, yep, that <laughs> kind of crashed and burned in a sense. Yeah. What, what was it about radio that uh, intrigued you? I really like the aspect of entertaining people and making them happy. If you can make someone happy at five or six in the morning on their way to work, where, you know, most people dread Mondays, most people dread going into work so early because it's not an exciting part of their day. But if they can turn into the radio, listen to familiar voices that they almost consider family and fun music in between with some like fun entertainment stories, then I think that's almost a way to change the day change the mindset yeah. yeah especially knowing how people's mindsets are in traffic already uh how would would you guys actively seek feedback or as a radio station how would you guys obviously you can know people are singing in their cars they're having a good time they're listening to you maybe laughing but did you guys get any feedback from uh, some of these people yeah we would i mean people would always call in and either try to be on because 
they would do um, competitions. Like in the morning, we had a thing called Gender Wars, which prior to me shadowing them, I was on a lot um, because it's a fun competition that is a little outdated with gender stereotypes. Give them that. It's the South, whatever. Um, but it was a man versus a woman, and they would ask a woman more masculine questions and ask a man more feminine questions. So I always kicked ass when I was on it because <laughs> I was great at that. Um, and you know, it was really fun, but like, other than that, people would call in and just like, want to talk to the host. Um, Woody and Jim have been in the industry for such a long time. They were such amazing people. And I had a chance to meet the interns and the producers and it was great. Um, you know, enough for me to really focus trying to get into radio. Yeah. And, uh, so you had talked about a little bit staying focused. I mean, I saw on your LinkedIn that you had a 4.0 throughout college. What was your driving force for doing so well in your classes? Did you have something, an ultimate goal at the end, or did you just know that you needed to get by with these acing everything? Like what was in your head? Yeah. So I think a main reason I wanted to do so well and be successful in school was kind of the old concept that we need it. Um, in order to have a successful career, uh, which isn't the case for a lot of people, especially today. But I was so driven by that mentality, hearing it from my parents, hearing it from society, that I thought I had to do extremely well or no one was going to hire me. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a great student. I have a photographic memory. So it was very easy for me to remember things the night before the test, because that's literally when I was study, and ASAP. I would even write study guides and, you know, give them to friends and sell them to colleagues in the same like gen ed classes because it was really easy for me to do. Um, but I really think it was that kind of ideal that we were supposed to have such amazing grades that we we're supposed to do so well in order to succeed in society that I put that focus into that. I mean, my high school played a huge part in allowing me to learn how to study effectively and really kind of motivate me because my high school was ridiculous like I would come home every night with hours of homework like my mom would come pick me up from school or my dad would pick me up from school and we'd get home after traffic at like six at night I would do homework till midnight and restart the day every day and it was a lot of work and I noticed you know it wasn't it's technically a public school but it's like a magnet public school it's really weird and I noticed like my brothers were never doing as much work that I was. And I was a little jealous and a little envious, but it's that same thing. I thought, you know, I had to do it if I wanted to be a successful broadcaster, yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous looking back on. And the internship you were a part of, that was during high school, correct? Yeah. So I shadowed them through high school and then officially I was supposed to enter them, intern with them at the radio station when I went into college. Um, however, there was a lawsuit with the head of the company, which is known at the time as Clear Channel. It's one of the largest radio companies uh, that they own that Nashville station. Um, they go by our iHeart Media now. They changed with iHeart Radio. They thought it would be cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they had a lawsuit in regards to interns not being compensated for their work in New York which sparked the company to no longer hire any interns. And that's where I decided at that moment in college that I was going to kind of abandon radio in the sense because I wasn't going to be able to work at 
the place I really wanted to work. And all of the local stations, they weren't hiring. I couldn't get internships there. And I really wanted a top 40 station because I hate country music. I know I'm from Nashville. I know I'm supposed <laughs> to love it, but I hate country music. And I can't deal with it. I can deal with Carrie Underwood. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, and Sia is your favorite artist, correct? Oh, my gosh. How do you know this? I got to do my research before I get on these. Oh my God, you just see me like retweeting Sia. <laughs> yes, I love Sia. Sia is my favorite singer. Uh, originally, it was Pink, um, which I still love. Old and adore. Pink or New Pink? Oh, I love her hip hop days. I love her folk now and the in between pop rock. Uh, it's just great. Like, she's such an entertainer. And Sia's vocals are insane. And Sia has great songwriting abilities. Like, she's written for. Rihanna, she's written for Beyonce, she's written for literally everyone in Hollywood, even Kanye West. And I'm just like, oh, I can't deal. Her voice cracks. I love that. And her songs are so real. Like anything she writes about her own mental disorders are so beautiful and so pure and yeah. kind of heartbreaking. I love it. I love sad stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the more real we can be in this world, the better off yes. I think we'll be. So um now you had mentioned switching your major. Uh, from broadcasting to journalism, what was your mindset as far as what you thought you might be able to do with this? Because obviously you're someone who loves to entertain. You want to be a part of that uh, and hold that throughout your career. What was your uh, mindset as far as what the future might hold with this? Yeah. So, you know, switching was at first a difficult decision until I realized that most, there's a car. Hold on. I'm sorry. Okay, you can talk through the cars. <laughs> so switching my major was kind of a difficult decision until I realized that most of my credits uh, still transferred over because it was in a way the same course of broadcasting. Radio kind of went into TV, which went into television, which, you know, or went in from television to journalism. At that time, I was terrified of being in front of the camera. I was a very shy kid growing up. Um, I've always been kind of loud and outspoken to people I know, but in front of other people, I was terrified. I used to like literally be a little emo kid, hide in my room, not talk to my brother's friends because I was so shy and like scared they would judge me. So I was just, you know, living my best life. And I decided, you know what, I want to give journalism a chance because that way, broadcast journalism, I have the means to work with all aspects of television, whether it be camera operating, writing scripts, you know, doing audio, editing. I get to do it all because journalism, you're a one-man band. You have to do everything as a reporter before you can make it, you know, as like a news anchor. I knew I didn't want to be a news anchor, but I knew I wanted to learn everything about the industry that I could because my school at that time didn't have a great film program. The film program was kind of just introduced when I became a junior. Um, so it wasn't something I wanted to switch into that late because then I'd have to spend an extra like two years in school that I didn't really want to do. Yeah. So journalism was my best option at the time. And it was me considering, you know, do I want to do news or do I want to, you know, go to Hollywood and work for TV shows? Because, you know, seeing the growth of TV when, you know, Netflix and Hulu and those have just like grown massively over the last 10 years it's insane so i thought i want to get involved in that i want to make content that is interesting to other people that is either representative of real life that you know diverse groups that don't get spoken about very often 
or kind of a different shed of life besides heteronormative things that you see constantly in television. So I found that journalism was my best route to start in that direction. And eventually, you know, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to move to Hollywood. (laughs) When you made this decision to switch Mm to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it broadcast journalism or multimedia journalism? journalism. uh, When was that switch in your college? Yeah, so I, when I I left radio, switched to uh, multimedia journalism, my, gosh, it was going into the second half of my sophomore year. Did you know at that point that you might have to move out to California and not sounding like California is a bad thing, but I know that's a hard move, obviously. That was actually my plan. Um, I told my parents and family as soon as I kind of made the switch, as soon as it kind of clicked in my head that that's where I wanted to be career-wise, I wanted to work behind the scenes in television or film that I would have to move to California. And I said, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to move. How difficult was it to uh, deliver that news? It's something they don't want to hear. Um, <laughs> and I, the only reason I asked that is because I know when I delivered the news about me moving after thinking our whole family was going to stay around Indianapolis, it was kind of a shocker for a lot of people. So it was kind of difficult. I knew, <laughs> It was hard for me to spit the words out in that moment. So I'm kind of curious what was going through your mind when you finally said, hey, guys, I got something I want to share with you. Yeah, well, I was always a really defiant child. Um, so kind of stepping on toes is something I was good at in a bad way, um, <laughs> which I regret. I have been such a little, a little douche face to <laughs> my parents at times growing up. Um, but I don't think I had any problem saying like, Hey, <laughs> I don't think I had any problem telling my parents like, Hey, I'm moving to California. Cause I didn't want to give them the chance to say, no, you can't do that. There are other opportunities. Because if I gave them a straight answer, it wouldn't be as hurtful for them to be like, hey, no, I don't want you moving out there. Of course, you know, any parent doesn't want their kid to leave the nest far from home. It's not some, especially in the South, it's not something that happens too often. I mean, I moved all the way across the country from Tennessee to California it's not something my mom and dad are were very comfortable with because they wouldn't be able to see me as often. You know, I'm not within their reach with, you know, they can't protect me, you know, quote unquote, from the dangers of the world that, you know, lie outside. Yeah. Um, so you had graduated. What was your first move right when you graduated? As soon as I graduated, it was, <laughs> oh my gosh, May of 2017. I looked up the date. I got it. Um, yeah, May of 2017, I waited a month, uh, not even, I packed up by the end of the month, packed up all of my stuff into, um, my car and made a road trip out to California with my twin brother and my cousin, who is my best friend. And we just, we just went for it. (laughs) Very nice. Was, uh, Corbin planning on moving there as well at this time or were they just no. uh, venturing out the land with you yeah they were both just down for the ride at this point oh, cool. yeah they um they have no intention of ever living in california corbin <laughs> does not like that scene and my cousin caitlin is not about that she loves 
you know, fam- she's a very family-oriented person. Uh, and, you know, she loves the South. I think there's, I mean, there's a, there is a great beauty to the South as much as I hate it at times. People really seem to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Especially the country music. Um, <laughs> now. No, no, what? No. <laughs> you moved to California. Mm-hmm. Go in a little deeper. What happened? You moved there. Yeah. Did you take a little month vacation? Did you get a job right away? Did you find so, an apartment right away? Help us out. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to move immediately to California, but I wasn't going to go in there completely blind because I like to think things through and have steps to it. Um, so originally the main game plan was that I had a job already planned for me um, that my uh, great aunt, Aunt Joyce, uh, helped me with at the time. You know, it was one of her friends that worked as a executive in the industry for uh, a Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, Hori- no, it was Warner Horizon Television. And he was like one of the head haunches there. And I spoke to him and he told me that uh, he would have a job waiting for me when I get there. So he was like, you know, as soon as you graduate, come out here. So I, you know, stuck to the plan. We talked like a week before I moved. Everything seemed to be fine. And I was going to stay with my mom's sister, uh, my aunt, in Pasadena, which is kind of like northeast LA. Very pretty, very like little, not quaint, but it's it's more wholesome than downtown LA. Like I think everyone pictures of LA as like very bustling. Pasadena is more suburbs, um, and it was beautiful. So I had that plan. Um, I made the road trip out of it. It's a long drive, three days, and a very cramped car because we have all of my belongings. And then my cousin and my brother's like suitcase and everything is in there. And we are just cramped. Uh, We went to Vegas, which is really fun. That was our first time in Vegas. And then, you know, we landed and they left me and then it was very real. Um, Everything kind of hit really quickly. I was staying with my aunt and my uncle and... It was kind of an environment at first that I wasn't very comfortable with. Um, and that same week that I moved there, the news broke that that job that I was supposed to have fell through. And now I was jobless in Los Angeles, um, which, you know, really hurt. But it wasn't something I wanted to give up on yet. So I was like, I'm not moving back home. There's no way I'm doing that. I just started applying to anything that I could within the entertainment industry. There's several like entertainment sites that can help find either day playing jobs, which in this industry, day playing is working for something typically for just a day. Sometimes it's just for a week. Um, Production assistant gigs are very short. Typically. When you say short, do you mean it's hard to get? Not necessarily hard to get. It's hard to stay on. Um, most shows when they ask for a production assistant are only looking for day players. So they're only looking for people that can help out from the day to day, not every week, sometimes like once a week, sometimes twice a week. And maybe they'll call you in the future. You never know. They might just have a project. People don't tend to realize um, TV shows don't work year round. Um, Most only work for three months at a time. And once they're gone, most people in the industry move on to a different show. Yeah. Uh, until you're higher up, you don't really have that security to go along 
and move to show to show. You just got to keep bouncing. So at that time I was applying, I was like at my, my friend also moved out to Los Angeles a few years before I did. Her name's Kimber Springs. She's sweet. She's amazing. She was working in a coffee shop at the time. She's a musician uh, working in a coffee shop. Kind of, <laughs> kind of funny in a way. It's like everyone moves to LA to either be an actor or a musician. Uh, but she was, she was killing it and she was working in a coffee shop at, at the time. And I, you know, would go there every morning for free Wi-Fi. And I would apply to production jobs um, on a site called Staff Me Up. Really good for production jobs if you're trying to step into the industry for the first time. And LinkedIn also has a great source of production jobs. You just got to be able to find them. Uh, but, you know, a lot of those didn't work through because I didn't have any experience within production at the time. So the first thing I actually got a call back from was uh, being a tour guide on a movie lot, the Warner Brothers movie lot. And I'm personable. I'm loud. Sometimes annoying, I've been told. Um, but I, you know, I was like, if there's any way for me to step on that lot and meet people and find connections and build relationships with people, maybe this is a shot. So I didn't want to turn it down. I needed a job um, because my uncle and aunt were getting very irritated that I had just moved there and now I didn't have a job. Uh, so I started there and I was there for a good six months as a tour guide on the movie lot. And it was, it was a great experience because I got to see a lot of behind the scenes things happening, a lot of, you know, production that was filming and I got to meet a lot of people. Um, and I even got to meet the, um, the guy that promised me a job and then <laughs> abandoned the job for me uh, on that lot. Cause that's where he worked. Uh, so it was kind of full circle in a weird way. Originally, I should say this, Originally, the show I was supposed to be working on when I moved out to LA, the one that I was told I was going to be working for, was The Voice, originally. That was the show he was going to put me on. It's one of his shows, um, and that fell through. Uh, but it kind of is full circle with how I eventually got to be on The Voice as a production assistant. But that's in due time. Oh my gosh, I could talk forever. <laughs> You're good. You, were you a tour guide when you say you yes. were what did your day-to-day -day entail? Like how large of groups would you take through uh, the facility? Oh, yeah. So it's super, it's super Hollywood in the sense, like trying to make money any way they can. But I, I would definitely recommend taking this tour if you're interested in television production, or if you're, in, if you're just a big fan of uh, TV shows, like there's so much that film on that lot and the lot history is insane. So basically we had to learn, almost everything that had filmed on that lot in the history of uh, the four Warner Brothers, um, mainly Jack, he's the the head honcho. Um, and we would drive a tour tram at the same time, a big old tour bus looking thing made of plastic. It was kind of like a long go-kart um, that is easily break. Please don't crash anything. It happens so often. And then we get blamed for it. And it's not our fault because the roads are very small and there's a lot of productions. Don't blame us. <laughs> um, but basically, we would drive about 14 to 15 people on this bus through the lot, which was ever-changing because you never knew it was filming. We literally found out the day of tours, like each day, if something was closed or if we couldn't go down that way because, you know, Shameless was filming there or Pretty Little Liars was over there at the time. Um, but it was also a great chance to 
show people what Hollywood is in a sense. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, y'all just film anywhere. And it's like, no, everything's fake. Like, <laughs> welcome to Hollywood. We all film on these fake lots. Like all their houses are either scouted or they're on this back lot. And we don't actually film on the inside because the houses are literally just a facade. It's like the front of the house and that's it. Yeah. Uh, like the full house house in San Francisco. Like that's literally just the outside shot of the house. And then they rebuilt it on the stage, which shot at Warner Brothers, uh, even Fuller House. Like none of it's real, <laughs> but yeah. it's insane to see like Warner Brothers. I always love their, them because they use every inch of their lot, like all of their office buildings are made to look like, you know, they could be a hotel, but it, it's actually just office buildings on the inside, just so that they could use the outside of the shot for, you know, a various amount of things. Like they used Hangover. Vegas <laughs> was just a, a back lot we called New York, uh, the New York Street. Uh, and for Hangover, we made it look like Las Vegas. And <laughs> they built the exterior of the hotel out there and had them climbing on it. Like, it's all wild to hear, but it was great to see those kind of secrets because it's something I was so into behind the scenes and I wanted to know more and, you know, work in that industry. So I thought being a tour guide was honestly a great way to meet a lot of people with similar interests. No one there came there to be a tour guide that I was working with. Everyone there was either, a you know, an inspiring actor, a writer, a director, or they wanted to work in music, but they just needed a job in the meantime. Like everyone was something else, a videographer. Like we all got to work together on our own interest and like kind of create our own side projects on the side. Like we would all get together and have game nights and then talk about like, oh, do you want to come to my script reading? Like, you know, you can have a part, just read the script or, hey, I need an extra actor for our small project film that I'm working on. But it was like wild and kind of fun. And I knew that I I did not want to be an actor. I didn't want to be, you know, in that world. But it was great to see so many people who were so inspired just by the idea of Hollywood and the idea of the industry that, you know, they're all hustling. Like everyone in LA is constantly hustling to become something in that field which yeah. is very hard to get into doing whatever it takes to kind of get to, into that industry and it sounds like this was a stepping stone for you uh how yeah. long did you work there for i was there for six months oh, okay out of the six months what was your most memorable moment oh it was so i was giving a tour to i didn't know at the time but a fam the father of one of the actors on why am I blanking on the show? Oh, The Fosters. Which is a lovely show. Um, about like diversity and kind of finding yourself and being unique and understanding like the real world hurts sometimes, but it's like it's a part of life. Um, but it's a loving, like ABC family kind of drama. But I gave a tour to one of the fathers of a trans actor on the show um and i had no clue because of course they're not just gonna be like oh yeah my son is on the show and you know can you show me their movie set or their tv set um i was just a big fan of their set in general because they literally built a whole entire house inside of a soundstage yeah um, soundstage for people that don't know are just giant 
stages that block out noise from the outside so that they can film inside of it. Um, it's literally what everyone uses in Hollywood, music videos too. Um, and they built a whole entire house in there and the whole bedrooms and a backyard and the lighting made it look like it was actually outside. It was insane. So I always brought a lot of my, if it was open, a lot of my tours into that building because I got to explain like, you know, what this type of set is and how cool it was and how, you know, a set master and prop people have to set this up to make it look like a real home, all the pictures on the wall. And he stopped me and he was like, oh, look, so right here in this photo, that's actually my son before they transitioned. And right next to it is a photo of them transitioned. And it's because the show wanted to have real photos of their actors um, in that house because they were a family. And it was so cool and just really kind of inspiring. Just be like, I brought you to the set totally by accident. Like I had no clue there were any ties that you had to it. And he literally just thanked me for bringing him there and him being able to see it. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's um, so fun. After those six months, what did you get into after that? So after six <laughs> months there, I kind of, I hit like a wall in a sense. Um, my aunt and uncle kind of forced me to leave their house um for some weird reason it wasn't that i'm a terrible person i think it was just they weren't comfortable specifically my uncle comfortable having me there um which was its own thing but literally told me i had until this day to move out so in december i had to move out i tried staying with a few friends on the couch like on couches for a while on floors um, but it really hit me hard and I was like, I can't, like, no one is hiring me. I can't find any job in production. And I kind of just gave up. I moved back home literally the week before Christmas, uh, missed out on like the Warner Brothers tour, like party they do every Christmas, which was super fun. But I, you know, missed, I saw the photos, it looked great. I missed out on it and decided to drive straight back to Tennessee uh, did not sleep at all, drove 38 hours straight um, and just kind of like gave up at that point for the industry, uh, yeah. which was really hard. I kind of hit like a really low, I was probably a little depressed in the sense uh, I started working at a grocery store because after a few months I realized I needed to work, I needed to pay, you know, car bill, I needed to pay all this other stuff. Um, so I was literally just unhappy working at a grocery store. Um and at that time, I was just kind of over it. Like, I tried getting back into radio to see if my radio friends were able to hire, and they weren't looking for, you know, people at the time. So I just put myself back out there on Facebook. I joined a lot of, like, entertainment Facebook groups that were local, Atlanta, Nashville, uh, and just seeing if anyone was posting. Same with that one website, Staff Me Up. If they were, like, if anyone was looking just for, like, a week or – they needed a PA for like a few days. Like I could help out. Um, and that's where I got my first official production assistant job. I was contacted by a woman named Tiffany. I love her to death. She's still a very close friend. She actually is the one that bleached my hair blonde um, very recently. Um, and she gave a chance to me production. Okay. 
let's just talk about the industry real quick. So production assistant in TV is supposed to be an entry-level position. That's how you kind of are supposed to start in the field. However, it oftentimes does not happen that way because they only want experienced people because they don't trust new people. They want someone that knows what they're doing. At the same time, they also give all of their jobs to family members or, you know, like, oh, my niece is in the, in, you know, new to the industry. She wants a job. It's a lot of nepotism. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Uh, very hard to move up. Very hard to find a stable job in Hollywood for that reason. Like, it's literally everyone's family. You, it's who you know, and you got to meet people, which is impossible for people that are moving there and have no family, no connections, no, you know, head honcho friends that are working in this industry. Like I had a brief connection through one of my great aunts, like ex husband's child. I don't even know. Like it was like a weird like connection that didn't even pan out. Um, so that's the industry. It's very difficult. A lot of people yeah. don't realize that people kind of rush in thinking I want to work in entertainment, but if you don't have any connections, you're going to have to really start at the bottom and work extremely hard to just try and even find that first job and keep hustling after it. Because after that first job, you will be abandoned by these people, most likely. I got lucky. I started this job. It was for a reality competition show um, called American Beauty Star. It was the second season of it. They filmed in Atlanta. Fun fact about television. It's cheaper to film literally anywhere than New York and Los Angeles. So most shows now, because they get less uh, taxes on them, they go to Atlanta or they go to Canada. But now Canada is becoming very expensive to film. Still cheaper than Los Angeles. So there's still a lot of shows that are out there, like literally all of the CW shows. If you think of Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Riverdale, yeah. they're all in Canada. Uh, if not most are in Atlanta, you know, The Walking Dead, Stranger Things. And it's that scenery too, because there's not a lot of wooded areas that kind of represent anywhere in the United States in Los Angeles or in New York. So a lot of them kind of love that kind of environment because it gives them kind of free reign to film. Of course. And it's really expensive to film on location. Movies will go to other countries to film because they have the money. Disney can literally film wherever they want with all of their Marvel movies. That's why, you know, they film literally anywhere. It's a little different for TV shows, especially shows that are starting up or for unscripted shows. Another side note. Television is broken up into unscripted, which, and scripted. Unscripted is reality TV shows, competition shows, or weird dating reality shows, quote unquote, and then talk shows, separate entities. Uh, scripted is what you see, anything that, you know, actually has scripted lines for people to read and write down. Those are more prominent but very hard to get into. They make more money, but they're extremely difficult to actually break into, especially if it's on one of like the major networks. Unscripted, there's so many new shows popping up because everyone wants to make a reality show. So there's a lot more opportunities to actually work in that side of the industry. So it's a great place to start out if you are new to the industry and want to work in the industry reality television it may not be as you know lackluster as what you want to do it's certainly not where i saw myself wanting to be um yeah. but i'm very happy that i got into the industry through them because 
reality TV is a whole nother realm of very quick paced or very fast paced. That's another way to say it. Very fast paced, very high turnover. They film so many episodes a week. They're like, okay, we're going to film an episode every day. Typically for scripted television, they will do one or two weeks to even a whole month being one episode at a time. Like you never know. It depends on their pace. It depends. There are dogs barking. Can you? I was <laughs> just about to say, sounds like there's a chihuahua fight going on back there. Oh, what is going on? <laughs> hey, I well, Colton, dogs, can I stop you right there? Of course. I want to ask you, I just have so many questions throughout that. Yeah. I talk a lot. I know you're good. I wanted to go way back in that first part of the conversation to where you were working at a grocery store. What was your position? And then also, what was your mindset while you were working that job? Because when I went into a service industry role and I was working as a server, a bartender, you had to go in every single day and make sure you gave those guests the best time possible. But also, you might not go into that day feeling the best. So you just driving back after 38 hours feeling... Uh, ultimately as if you may have failed and didn't really know what was going on. What was your mindset working here? I hated it. Um, (laughs) It was, I, you know, that's how I kind of, I started in the service industry. My first job was working for a fast food chain. Um, The only thing is I'm very, I can fake it very well being happy, which is, I guess something, you know, easy to learn in the South and just being, you know, faking it is kind of, I say I'm good at emotions and good at reading emotions. And I think through that, I was able to fake being personable, fake being compassionate to a sense to people that didn't entirely know me or saw the the facade that I built up. And it was really easy to do that. Um, Though it was like a very dark part of my life that I didn't, I wasn't happy with myself at that time. I could still fake it really well. So I don't know if many people knew that I was like not going where I wanted to be at that time. I mean, breakdown, who knows? I probably had one. But at that time, it was just every day going into work. I realized this is not what I wanted to do. But I'm not the type of person that's just going to sit and sulk. So at least I could, I don't want to make people's days worse. You know, you see people who are angry or upset and you immediately feel that emotion. And I don't know if it's just me being more of like an empath, like knowing that if someone's sad, I don't want them to continue being sad or if they come to me and feel my negative energy and then that's what they take away with. I don't want them taking that back to their home, to their children. So I would at least put on a happy face while working these jobs and just like, I, that's being said, I don't believe the customer is always right. I hate that saying. It's a stupid (laughs) saying. The customer is never right because (laughs) that just gives them the ability to be ignorant, to demand things that they don't deserve and be rude to employees. Um, but, you know, welcome to America, where <laughs> the customer is always right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was it was not a great experience working in the service industry again. Um, you know, I worked, I worked there. Before that, while I was in college, I worked at PetSmart, uh, which is fun. I only worked there because I love animals, um, don't like people the pet people, we call them pet parents. You know, I love people who are reasonable pet parents, but then they'll come up and be like, actually, my dog has dietary restrictions. And I was like, oh, okay, we have food for that. Like, is it, is, does the vet say anything example? And they're like, no, I just want them to be vegan. And I'm like, what? 
a dog. Oh, okay. Um, choices, as we say in the community. Well, but uh... yeah, no, it was it was something that was hard to get over and focus on that mindset and then get out of that mindset. Every day was like a different kind of struggle just doing it. And then it gets really repetitive. Yeah. Some people that are stuck in it don't realize how repetitive it is until you want out of it. Then you realize that, Oh my God, I'm literally just doing this over and over again. And there's no actual, you know, positive outcome to me doing this work there's no growth there's no advancement there's nothing i see myself doing like you're like oh you can become like the general manager and i was like that sounds terrible (laughs) no and i think you hit on something huge right there is growth if you're not continuing to grow what are you doing and i think a lot of people feel stuck in their current position and Mm -hmm. um i love that you were continuously still uh, it may have taken a little bit of time but still started to apply back out to these positions out in la um, now, working in this kind of industry, how do you how do you continue looking for a job when you know it's such a short lived uh, segment? So you talk about these jobs that may last two weeks, three months. How do you do? You have a side job where you may work at a coffee shop, or do you just continuously know your calendar so you're going to be at some place three months, the next yeah. two weeks? How do you do that? So that's the hard part about this industry. Um, Most people do have side jobs that they will fall back on. The only hard part is in the entertainment industry, it's all very loose scheduling. It's like, you look, we kind of want to finish this in two weeks. The job I did in Atlanta for that reality competition, I was only supposed to be there for three weeks. It turned into almost two months of me being out there. Um, Yeah. That's how it is for every gig. It just differs on if they got everything they needed, if something uncontrollable happened to the crew or the cast, like, you know, news breaks, especially reality shows, we're following people around doing competitions. Like they have a plan, but you never know what's going to happen. So it's always kind of trying to find a gig after that and kind of just guessing on the end date (laughs) and looking for something that's immediately after And like, that was the hard part because I was still working at the grocery store in Tennessee when I told them, hey, I need a month off because I'm going to go work this show in Atlanta. And when I came back, they, I was there for two weeks before I got a call about another show. And then I was like, look, I'm sorry, I got to leave again. And ultimately they weren't happy. So I had to officially quit, whatever. Um, But like that show in Atlanta, it was, it's, it was very difficult. Like, Atlanta's in Nashville are close, but not too close. It's like literally three and a half hours away. I stayed with a friend um, at first uh, and the production, they fell in love with me, I guess. Like, I guess just my energy and my attitude towards work. Like I was, I was willing to do anything. A lot of people to production. Okay. Another side note, production assistants. There are so many different types of, production assistants and sometimes you never know what you're going to be doing on set as a production assistant until production tells you like your specific job sometimes you're an office production assistant and you're helping make calls helping schedule lunches kind of bringing lunches to people's desks running coffee orders doing all that sometimes you're a set pa which was what i was in atlanta and it was you're running around set you know giving people uh new batteries for their walkies 
uh, you're helping with Crafty, which is craft services, which is like snacks for crew. I was helping set up lunch uh, with the caterer. I also took out the trash every night and whenever it got full um, and just kind of like helped out in the production office for the building we were at, just kind of running around like a mad person. Um, But it was a great opportunity to meet a lot of people and work in the industry. And that being said, if you're wanting to get into this industry and you want to start as a production assistant, which most people will, unless you know people, you have to be willing to understand that you will be doing a lot of what seems like remedial, mediocre tasks before you can do something else. Like, no, I didn't want to take out the trash, but would I be happy to do it? Because if you sit down, if you complain, this production or these people that often work on a lot of other TV shows, again, they only work that show for, they've worked that show for two months, then they're going to work something else. Like they don't always stay on that show. That's an opportunity that you have. They saw that you worked really hard. You could work with them in the future. So don't complain. Don't, you know, nag about taking out the trash. Don't be like, I want to do more than this. They understand that. Everyone understands that no one wants to be a production assistant forever. So just (laughs) like actually put effort in and be willing to grow from the remedial tasks into something else. Like show them that you are available to do more than just sit down and complain. Yeah. And earlier you kind of talked about a little bit about uh, wanting to grow within an industry. Uh, As far as personally, I know I like to grow just by uh, reading, listening to podcasts and just viewing some YouTube uh, series for personal growth. What are some of the things you put in place or maybe some habits you have in place to continue to grow? So to grow in like the field that I want to get to, which is eventually scripted television, um, I want to produce and create content. So what I do to help me grow is I try to write scripts. I try to come up with ideas that I think would be really cool for you know today's society to view into a new TV show something that would help either spark conversation or spark interest. Um, I love horror, so I love to focus on that genre. I don't think there's really any good horror-related TV shows out besides American Horror Story um, that do it justice, the genre. Um, I also What kind of conversations do you want to... Yeah. Sorry, I have to stop no, you. No, no. What kind of conversations do you want to create through horror? Uh, I just think there, there's a lot to learn through fear. Fear is something that actually motivates us more than we think it is. It's often a deterrent in a way uh, and stops people from progressing, but fear can be used, you know, interchangeably with growth because you can fear rejection. You can fear, you know, even death, like what pushes you? You can't just sit there and cower. You have to turn that fear into something that can motivate you forward. So I think like just that genre in general using fears and using tactics that make your heart race, that make you scared is something that you can also use and put into a real world society. Like we see with like, you know, Oh gosh, why am I blanking? Peel. They or uh, them. Was that them? them? <laughs> no, that's that a totally different movie. No, it's get out. Get out. No, but he did that other one. Oh, us. They, okay. them, us. It wasn't them. It was Get Out and Us. Um, But like horror movies like that where it like Get Out and Us where it focuses on 
the conversation of what culture and society is like towards the black community. We see that and you can use that and see how fear is implemented in their systematic racism that, you know, these people are, are facing every day and the fears they face and then turning it into a horror movie. Like that's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. But there's infinite amounts of solutions or possibilities that we could turn into television or movies and using horror, which is just a genre I love because I love gore and um, love that. But you is know, there anything I, in your, is there anything in your previous experience that like your own personal experience that you feel like you would be creating through any of these television shows? Well, I would love to focus like on just more discussion and normalization of the LGBT community. Um, I think there's not nearly like most of the movies make it or even TV shows make LGBT characters either. And it's just, it's so normal. Like, the way they it's either one gay character or one lesbian character like it doesn't go into any topics of gender or, you know fluidity towards sexuality uh but it's often those characters are often the most perverted characters and that's just a huge stereotype that has been forced on the lgbt community through means of you know hatred toward them by religion by society and it's just not like we don't need to see that we don't need to see more attacks of lgbt community we know it's already happening like we want to see actual growth we want to see normalization i love the movie love simon in a perfect world that would have been cool however stop hiring straight people to play gay characters like i don't understand how you couldn't find a, a gay actor to actually play a gay character like what's the point Thank you for educating me today because I've been educated in the past on uh, microaggressions or things I've never thought about before. So uh, in a in a film, I never would have thought about this kind of an instance. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. It's no problem. Well, I and it's that conversation where it's like, well, you know, we're actors. We're supposed to portray other people. And it's like, well, give jobs to LGBT people who can also portray straight people. Like, but no one's hiring LGBT people because they are typecasted almost immediately. Like these actors or, you know, trans actors, they have to be either sex workers. They have to be super flamboyantly gay or super like on the, you know, lesbian spectrum, super masculine. So it's either hyper femininity or hyper masculinity on each spectrum. There's no in between in the world of television and film. And it is becoming more normalized, but I think there's a lot more that can be done. There's more room for, you know, it's so sad that we still don't even have a lot of female directors, but we can make room for LGBT directors. We can make, you know, people of color. We can make room for black directors, Asian directors, all of these people like writers rooms for sitcoms, for talk shows should include so many minorities to make it diverse enough to fit what everyday society is like. And we see that and we're like, why is this not happening? Why do we have a whole bunch of old white people still writing the same nonsense that no one cares about anymore? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, do you have any LGBT uh, inspirer or inspiring mentors or producers right now? Not actually in my field. Like there's a lot of LGBT people in the entertainment industry, um, but higher ups, no one that I know in particular that can like mentor me i would say um i've had a few producers that were lgbt um but you know it's been so short-lived with them i say i more look up to my friends and colleagues 
that yeah. I know are in the community and want to change the representation that is there and in place and are going to work to do that. And I look up to them every day because I know that they're working so hard to do that. That's awesome. Um, creating friendships after school can obviously be difficult. Uh, I, and for myself, I just moved to Evanston just three months ago. Uh, so how do you go about creating a community for yourself in a new town? Yeah, I love talking to people, <laughs> which is probably why I work in a lot of talk shows. Um, but talking to people is just something I love to do. I love learning about someone and kind of seeing what their interests are. Um, when it came to moving out here, you know, I was super nervous until Hong Kong. Your car's locked, buddy. It's not even, I think they're just honking because they're so aggressive. Moving from the South, everyone was such a nice, cautious driver. Like, you're like, oh yeah, go ahead, go in. You know, there's room for you. And everyone out here is like, how dare you? You're within a hundred feet of me. You can't get ahead. I'm like, what? Um, but meeting friends out here was pretty easy. I met a lot of friends through work, uh, doing tours and, you know, it's just a lot of common interests. Um, I'm a huge nerd. So I would meet a lot of people who are into video games or Dungeons and Dragons because, oh my God, I'm obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons. I've been playing that for like since college now, since my freshman year. So it's been a while, but, um, and then board games, like board games have been such a huge hit. I think with, um, older Gen Z and millennials, like, just the kind of bring back of board games and like gathering all as a group outside of quarantine, of course, you know, that was before (laughs) when quarantine wasn't a thing, we would still gather uh, and have board game night. And it was just a great way. We started the conversation each day with like, Oh, how, you know, what are you up to? How's work been? And then we'd get down to a board game and go to town. And it's a great way to meet people. I love board games. I go to board game cafes. (laughs) Oh my God. Board game cafes, never heard of that. What's your favorite board game? Oh my gosh, okay. So I like deck building games, which is you have cards uh, and you each round you would grab new cards to put into your deck and you have to strategize on how it works either with your teammates or how it works against whatever you're facing. So my favorite right now, I'm going to give a shout out. Um, It's called Drinks and Daggers. It's made by an amazing group of people who started out uh, doing a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, um, <laughs> with, which went by a different name, it was called um, Drunks and Dragons, but they've since changed it to be more ad friendly to uh, Greetings Adventurers. Um, but their board game is amazing, and it's a great like it's a drinking board game, and it's a great with friends. Like you all work together. There's no competition against one of another, like one another. So you all work together to defeat like the big bad. And it's so fun. It mixes like my favorite things, which is Dungeons and Dragons and board games and people. So I just love it. And drinking. Um, (laughs) I just love it. I'm going to slide that third one in there as my favorite. (laughs) And and drinking. It's very important. Now you've been on The Voice for, this is your second season or third? This is, oh my gosh, fourth season. I started season 15. Veteran. Um, Yeah. So what has been some of the most inspiring moments for you working on these sets? Yeah. So after I moved back home and then I, you know, worked in Atlanta, I got a call after I applied to a job that I didn't know. It literally just said NBC production assistant uh, for the month of October. I finished my show in September for um, Atlanta, came back home, was about to work at the grocery store again. I was working there for two weeks, got a call 
saying, hey, this is yada yada from The Voice. We saw that you applied. We want you to work in uh, our department called Friends and Family. Um, could you be here for an interview next week? Um, of course, I said, yeah, of course, I'm local. I can be there. Um, <laughs> so I booked a flight, flew to L.A., was going to crash on one of my friends who is still a tour guide's couch, uh, and I rented a car. And I didn't even know if I had the job yet. I literally had to go to be interviewed. So I only booked a one-way flight um, in case, you know, it suddenly needed to go back. Uh, and then I met with these amazing people who are uh, production coordinators or production managers for this team, which was the friends and family team, the friends and family department for the show um, and met them at a Starbucks. And they loved me like immediately after one of them was like, I want you on my team because you're more fun than these people that showed up and we interviewed today. And then next thing I know that following week, I was working on the voice for my first season, which was season 15 which was insane. I was on a huge movie lot. <laughs> yeah. And for people who don't know even maybe the voice, but what what is uh, the role with friends and family? It sounds pretty obvious, but let's just... Yeah. Uh, we'll so the voice is a singing competition show. We don't talk about the other ones, you know, like... <laughs> um, and, um, um, but we do talk about the voice. Um, it is, you know, a singing competition show that America's sparked interest ever since that first one, American Idol. We're going to say its name, you know, we're fascinated by talent and we love to see talent and their journeys, more specifically their journeys, um, because we like to root for an underdog in America. Like, that's the thing we just love to do. Hold a moment. <laughs> this is why I don't like Van Nuys. Um, But yeah, so we want to follow someone's journey through the show. Um, and... You know, whether they're all amazing singers, we don't have any bad singers on our show. That's not what we do. We're not American Idol. We don't want to make someone <laughs> believe that they're good and then screw them over and just want ratings for terrible singers in the end. We want great singers. So part of that is following their story and going, you know, following their family. Um, so Friends and Family works only during the blind auditions because we have almost every time we have about 90. 80 to 90 artists um, that are supposed to do the blind auditions. Uh, and that cuts but less than half, about 40, depending on the season, we'll make it on a team. Um, and part of it is bringing their family members out there and, you know, so that they can be interviewed with them. So we know what their childhood was like, what their home life is like. So part of my job at first as a production assistant, I didn't deal with, any of the like the logistics before it at first i just dealt with when they got there so i would bring them onto a movie set or a tv set uh, on a movie lot that half of them never understand what that is they're like what where am i and i was like well we're in a sound stage uh and we're in holding so this whole sound stage is just holding for family members we have a whole tables there's a hair and makeup station for the artist and you know, we're just getting ready because we're going to be doing interviews with, you know, Carson soon. We're going to be doing like nervous interviews, talking to each family member. That's our day to day. You know, they are very confused. We tell them prior what's going to happen, but each day they're very confused because I would be too if I didn't understand the industry at all. 
I'm just like, my kid is here to sing. Like, oh, great. You know, it's a lot of Midwestern families. We find a lot of contestants from the Midwest, from the South, bring them in. They're very clueless to whatever it is. And, you know, friends and family members often aren't entertainers. So they're not used to spotlight. They're not used to these questions. So my job is to make them feel comfortable. So I greet them every morning, bring them in. It's very early. We start very early during the week of blind auditions. And, you know, we do a lot of that, like, reality stuff. So we film all these interviews. I just, like, make them feel comfortable. Um, I am a name person. I want to make sure I know everyone's name, which is very hard when you already have 90 artists and you're trying to remember all of their family members' names. But it's easy when you get to talk to them. So I'm great with people. I love talking to people. I love chatting with people. Learning, like, okay, so what do you know? What was his nickname growing up? What did you call them? Like, come on, give me, spill some dirt on them. Like, I'm not a producer (laughs) on the show. As much as I would love to be a story producer on the show, that's ultimately a goal I'm working toward. Um, But, you know, they have probably already gone over this with some story producers at that point. But at this time, it's just to them, a normal person asking genuine questions that don't seem to be about television. I'm just trying to know them as people instead of know them as people on a show. Yeah. And it's just a great part of, I love to do it. I love to, you know, kind of make sure they're all right too. Cause they're stressed. They're stressed for the artist. I mean, I mean, there's definitely a lot more stress on the, the artist themselves to go up and, you know, it's nerve wracking to perform in front of four coaches who are celebrities and amazing in this industry and have worked in the music industry for years. Um, But their parents are just, you know, their parents and their family members like that just want that person to do extremely well. And they don't understand like how it is heartbreaking if they don't get it, but it is also great exposure at the same time. A lot of the artists know that a lot of people know like, Oh, I didn't get a chair term, but at least I know that I got great exposure in the end. Yeah. Um, but the parents are crushed by it. So it's just my job to help them kind of be at ease and talk them through it. If they have any questions, uh, keep them orderly, make sure everyone goes to lunch at the right time. And like, you know, minors, they have to be at lunch first. So dealing with parents that way has always been fun. But I did that for uh, two more seasons before I officially worked as a assistant coordinator for the department. Um, which was then granted some of that logistics before they fly out. I was helping out with that stuff, you know, sending releases, calling, making sure they knew what was happening before they arrived in Los Angeles. Helping them not be so clueless. Yeah, Um, it's a lot. (laughs) So working with all these different, obviously, contestants, families, how how do you emotionally prepare yourself for each day to be as happy, as charismatic as you need to be uh, to bring yeah. positive energy when they, when their family or their con- the contestant might not make it. Yeah, I mean it's the same almost in like when I worked customer service. I think I have a great ability to connect with people's emotions. I don't want to like call myself an empath, but I really feel like I'm very empathetic toward people, uh, and I can understand. I can see the nerves. I can see you know when they're happy. I know when they're about to cry, and I kind of just console them through it. I can come to work every day happy because I know that this is a great moment for a contestant. This is a cool moment and a great experience for them and as a family just to share that. So I could always come in happy 
no matter the time, you know, we work 14 hour days often. I can be, you know, happy that whole time because I know that this is someone's dream. Like this is someone's moment. And I get to be a part of that. Like creating that experience for them is awesome. And just reassuring them and even knowing like, hey, sometimes the news isn't going to be great. You know, they may not get what they want out of this, you know, show because they may not make it, but they get the experience from it all. They get to meet other artists. They get to meet a lot of people in production, meet an amazing band that works with them, do a whole bunch of rehearsals and like stage presence lessons that happen before the show even begins to be filmed. And it's just a great opportunity for them. So I just like to let them like feel that energy and share that with them. And yeah. it's worked out pretty well so far. I mean, they eventually brought me into the contestant department, which is specifically dealing with the artist and filming and going on into, you know, the battles and knockout rounds of the show uh, and then live shows, which has been insane. Um, so it's been a great gig to work. They film two seasons a year. So that's why it goes by a little quicker. Um, we're in season 19 right now and, you know, we're so happy to be back even during all this quarantine. It's super safe. We all get tested so often um, and we're following the correct guidelines. We have safety instructors uh, that are trained in COVID safety there and we're just so happy to be back and it's just been so fun this season. Just kind of revamping and twisting things around that need to be done. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the goal, at least in this show, is to work my way up into becoming a story producer uh, because I like to find all of that detail and build a story off of a person and make America love them. So is a story producer someone who talks to the person who is also talking, who is also in your first role as family and friends and kind of combines mm-hmm. everything that they may know about this individual to create Yeah, so that they story? do it all before, like, before they're even officially cast on the show they're looking like there's they give you some kind of a sad background story and an emotional and there's auditions that happened in like specific cities like open calls excuse me (laughs) there are open calls that happen that people are brought into and you know they start from there and they work they almost work year-round finding talent and building stories for these talent to pitch it to the executives to pitch it to other people and make sure that America's going to love them. Um, and that's what I want to do at least as a stepping stone until I can get into scripted television, because yeah. at least that way I'm working on building stories and working on communication with people and understanding what everyone's story is like. I think that's helpful in the sense of if I want to create television that encompasses or even films that encompasses human emotion and you know stories about minorities or stories about other people's lives and just experiences that they had to go through i think that's a great way to kind of gather that information understand the world better yeah i absolutely love where your focus is at on this and i'm excited to follow you in the journey we are coming down to the last couple of questions so i know you want to become a story producer and the overall goal is to become a producer for your own horror show obviously the topics we've talked about uh, you talk about writing scripts for personal growth what do you end up doing with these scripts do you keep them uh, and continue to work on them do you turn them in anywhere do you ask yeah. for suggestions from people could you talk a little bit about that yeah so most times when I 
write scripts. I keep them to myself for the most part. Um, still working on gaining that kind of confidence to share it or even like try and sell it in a way or pitch it to a network. Um, I am in the middle of actually working on pitching a reality show to a network, which would be super cool. So my goal is to send a reality show pitch to Netflix or Hulu and hopefully they pick it up because I think it would be hilarious and really cool. Um, But for a lot of the other scripted stuff that I work on, that's not reality. I either send it to friends, uh, let them read it, get notes on that, work on it. Or like ultimately a big dream of mine is to, which it's become very popular now since um, the genre has kind of made a comeback, but fantasy stuff in the terms of like, medieval fantasy like witches wizards kind of that dungeons and dragons inspiring worlds yeah. i would love to do a show that's like a huge dungeons and dragons adventure like a huge campaign and make it a television show um which would just be so cool to do in a nerd perspective it would be amazing to do um they have become more popular like you can see like curse just came out on netflix with um I'm blanking on her name. She's from 13 Reasons Why. She's super sweet. Um, But that's a similar show where you look at like The Witcher and it's a similar kind of aspect of that. There's a lot of shows that have been coming up like that, but I would love to eventually work on that kind of show as well. Hell yeah. We just started watching Curse. I think we got through about two episodes so far of it. Um, I think a lot of game of thronesy might have yeah. pulled some of these uh back into play if you will um for sure especially my now that take, game of thrones but... is over like people yeah especially after that <laughs> what do we watch season <laughs> ew people are so disappointed they're trying to find <laughs> find something that can cure that last season of game of thrones yeah well hey you can't spoil it for anyone just yet no uh, if no you haven't seen it though <laughs> yeah if you haven't um, seen it well... don't watch it <laughs> Well, something I like to ask everybody is how do you personally define success and how do you believe that has changed over time? Ooh, I really think that society puts so much pressure on the word success to the point where we all grow up thinking that success has to have some sort of monetary value, whether it be, oh, we're rich now and we have a hardworking job where we never get any time to ourselves. We never get any time to grow as a person, any time to see our family, any time to work on something that isn't what some corporation wants us to do. I think that is what success was driven by for the long time, because that's what, you know, baby boomers were forced into believing. And that's kind of what has shredded down and trickled down into our mindsets growing up. But I think of now, just a new perspective on things, we're all just wanting to do something that makes us happy. And I think that definition of success is better just for humanity, for ourselves, for our mindsets. Just thinking, what am I doing that makes me happy? And how can I work on that to either better myself, better some sort of aspect of what I'm looking to do or change the world? It can be small. You can, you know, work on something that works on a small thing, but still makes you happy. And it might, you know, change someone else's mindset. I think that's success doing something that makes you happy and can change someone's opinion in a positive light. I love that. Um, yeah. uh, People have been giving a lot of similar advice lately, 
but I'm glad everybody's sticking to the same kind of uh, point of We're do what makes you happy. We're changing as a generation. Yeah. And that's why I've been um, interviewing a lot of younger people has been my kind of target. Um, and, and I'm open to changing this as time goes on. Um, but I've been wanting to get a, a take from most people around their 20s, 30s, maybe even up to 40s uh, to understand what they believe success is. And then maybe later on get it a get a better idea from this from a little older crowd as well. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for anyone who wants to make it in your own industry? Oh my gosh! Please come into this industry with an open <laughs> mindset because if you come in thinking that you're going to be a writer, well, tough luck. It's going to be very hard. It's this industry is brutal in a sense. You have to know people to move up. You have to build connections. Even if you turn in your work and you're an amazing writer or an amazing actor, any form of entertainment, it's it's just insanely difficult because there's always someone that knows someone that may not be as amazing as you are, but they have those connections. So they're going to get a job over you. And it's just how it works. So, you know, it's okay to be upset by it, but it's not going to change anytime soon. So come into this industry with an open mind know that you might have to work from the bottom. You could be lucky. You could meet people as soon as you move out here, but have a plan and have a strategy because moving out here is already extremely difficult. It's very expensive. It's really consuming all of your life just to pay for sim- like simple things, like a tiny, you know, a one bedroom is rare out here, but even a studio is so expensive. But you got to have a mindset if you want to work in this industry to get down and dirty work from the bare bones work from the bottom and build your way up into something that you know you can do and you want to do there's a lot of times where you might want to ultimately give up i mean it happened to me it happens to a lot of people out here but know that you know even giving up momentarily is okay and you can still build from it you can still work on it as long as you have the drive and the energy you can make it beautiful advice uh thank you so much colton for joining me on this podcast uh i always like to leave a little way that people can find you i don't mean on a map i mean uh instagram facebook linkedin is there a best way that people can find you if they want to keep in touch or follow you yes all of my social media is at colton griffith c-o-l-t-i-n-g-r-i-f-f-i-t-h you can find me on anything awesome I'll be sure to leave that in the description on the podcast. Uh, Well, thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yay, thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. Uh, If anyone listening has someone who they admire and want to recommend for the show, please send me a message at paveyourownpathpodcast at gmail.com. If you yourself feel successful, let me interview you. Uh, I know you guys all learned something today. Please once again ask yourself, how do I bring value? Pave your own path and have a wonderful day. (laughs)